Lord God, thank you for this evening. Thank you, God, that you, you have led us through the fire, God. That speaks so much to me. Thank you that you, have, you uphold us and keep us, Lord. That you strengthen us, Lord. You hold us up with your righteous right hand. And God, we need not fear, Lord, because we know you're with us. We need not be dismayed or disorientated, confused, or, or in distress, Lord. Because greater are you who are in us than who is in the world, Lord. You're greater, God, than anything we face. And I thank you, God, that tonight you are here with us right now. So I ask, God, that you bless your word. Thank you, God, for our opportunity you've given us, Lord, this opportunity to be able to study your word. Anointed by your spirit, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. During the pandemic, uh, many businesses, as you know, closed, uh, including 90,000 restaurants all across the country. And I might add our favorite, the kitchen closed in town. That was really sad when that went, went closed. You know, one of the types of restaurant that closed was the all-you-can-eat uh, buffet. But the buffet-style restaurants, do you know that today are making a comeback? They actually are all over the country. Some thought they were going to be a thing of the past. And granted, we understand why in 2020 people wouldn't go out to, you know, a buffet and kind of have a shared tray and all that. But in 2022, they said it bounced back, being, becoming a $5.5 billion industry. So you can say buffet eating is back. I heard one person say they, their favorite India buffet ran out of bread. Well, the restaurant said it was a non-issue. You get it? Okay, what do you call a Star Wars-themed all-you-can-eat restaurant? A bowl buffet. Bow buffet, you know, yeah. Anyway, um, someone said they went to a Chinese food buffet and noticed something moving in one of the food trays. After filling up their plate, they noticed something move again. It was a pair of eyes that popped up and popped down and popped up and popped down. Well, when they told the server about their concern, she said, oh, no worry about that. That's just peeking duck. Well, senior food move, I don't know, that's something we don't need to bring back, right? Not at all. Well, tonight we return here to our study in the book of Acts. And we find in our passage, Paul and Barnabas are back, you know what, doing ministry in Antioch. After we saw the enemy come in and try and bring dissension and divide the early church. Remember the Judaizers came in saying that, well, the Gentiles need to be circumcised to be saved. But we've been studying the last two messages how we are saved by grace, right? Not by the works. So after all that now, we find our ministers, our missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, they're back doing 
ministry. And that's the title of our message tonight, Back Doing Ministry. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 15 from verse 22 through 41. We're going to finish off the chapter. And we see three things in our passage. We see, number one, the return to Antioch. Number two, the return to teaching. And then the return to missions. And in that section, we're going to come across one of the most well, infamous maybe we could say, or one of the passages that we talk about a lot when Paul and Barnabas split. But we'll get to that at the end of our time here. But first of all, let's begin with number one, the return to Antioch. The return to Antioch. Once again, back doing ministry is our title. And we're going to look at number one, the return to Antioch. And we're going to be covering verses 22 through 31 if you're taking notes. All right, let's take a look at verse 22, first of all, here. In Acts chapter 15, verse 22, it says, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading, uh, leading men among the brothers. So we'll stop right there. Now we begin here, Luke, the writer here, Dr. Luke, is writing on how it seemed good, or in other words, they were really pleased, they were happy about what God wanted them to do. So it seemed good for the... um, To the apostles and elders, that's the leadership there at the Jerusalem church. And that's what is referred to with the whole church. Everyone in the Jerusalem church, they felt, well, this is the Lord to choose men from among them in the Jerusalem church and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. So who did they send? Well, they sent Judas and Silas. Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, and they were leaders in that church, leading men among the brothers there, the believers there. Now, these key leaders, uh, Judas and Silas, they're part of the Jerusalem church, and it was important that they went with Paul and Barnabas back to Antioch. So remember the story here. We're coming in in the middle of this or at the end, really, of uh, this account that Luke is talking about. You remember how the Judaizers, they were those Jews. Many of them were Pharisees who had come to believe. uh, Some maybe feel like they weren't fully believers or, or real believers, that they were false teachers, but there were also those who believed. But they were still locked into the law. And the ones who, these Pharisees or these Jews who weren't believers and and were pushing the law upon Christians, they were what we call Judaizers. Well, they were pushing a point way back earlier in this chapter on how the Gentiles who were saved through the ministry of Paul and Barnabas, how they went on that first missionary journey, and the Gentiles in this Antioch church, that they need to be circumcised. In a sense, they're saying, well, you guys got to become a Jew first, and then you could receive Jesus. And basically, they're saying, you know, to be saved, you got to have Jesus and be circumcised. And they were bringing in other parts of the law, 
going to festivals, uh, uh, prayers, um, observing festivals and all this. Well, if you remember at the beginning of the chapter, well, they came in and they were causing dissension. They were dividing the church over this issue. And they began to argue with Paul and Barnabas about it. And they got into this discussion. And then the Antioch church, they decided, well, you know what? Let's send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, to the main church there, talk to the leadership, talk to apostles, and and resolve this. Let's get the official word from them. And then last time we saw the second part to the discussion of their council over all this. And if you remember, they, they settled that. In our past few studies, we went over all of this. And then you remember James, uh, not the, uh, the James and John, the brother of John, he had already been martyred. But James, the half-brother of Jesus, who is now the leader in the Jerusalem church, he spoke and then he officially declared with all of them that that was wrong. That no, Gentiles do not need to get circumcised, circumcised to be saved. Uh, they didn't want to put that burden upon them that the, the Jews themselves were, were released of in Christ Jesus. That they were saved also, the Jews, by faith, grace, you know, through faith. So we've talked extensively about how these were trying to bring the works type salvation in and, and add to what Jesus did on the cross. But after that council meeting, the apostles declared that, no, 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 we're saved by faith in Jesus. And really they're saying, well, this is how we were saved. Remember, Peter had said that. And, and I mentioned, right, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, right? We're saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works. Unless, you know, we should get proud about that. So, with that matter officially resolved in Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas, remember, they were like the main pastors of the church in Antioch. Antioch was way above um, uh, uh, Israel area, way above going into the area of Turkey there. And that was more a Gentile church, if you remember. Jerusalem was more a Jewish church. There's more Gentiles in the Antioch church. Well, Paul and Barnabas were the ministers there. They were, they were like the pastors there. And so they returned to Antioch because they're sent to Jerusalem with this official word. So the church in Jerusalem, they thought, you know what a good idea is to send also leadership from the Jerusalem church to also testify and validate what Paul and Barnabas had learned and what had happened. And so this, this delegation, you can say, these guys, they went back north to Antioch church. And so all this was to end that dissension, end that discussion, end the division and, and what the enemy was trying to do, really, to divide with this false doctrine. So that's what we see coming into verse 22. So Paul, Barnabas, they're heading toward, they, they go to Antioch along with Judas and Silas there. So then in verse 23, they left with this following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia greetings. Now, in verse 23, uh, uh, Antioch is actually the capital city of this area of Syria and Cilicia. It's a Roman province, 
And so they mentioned uh, this whole area. But specifically, this letter was to the Gentiles, right? Because they're the ones that are being, uh, that burden is being put upon them. Verse 24, since we heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. They're like, that wasn't us, you guys. You remember in the first verse of this chapter that these Pharisees, these Judaizers came from Jerusalem. They came from their, that area. And so they're like, I, I know they came, but they, they didn't come on our instruction at all. They, they, they were not part of us. And we know they came to trouble you unsettling your minds. I mean, can you imagine the rejoicing in Christ? We're saved in Christ. Christ died for my sins. And these guys come in, no, you're not saved. You got to do this first. You go, and, and these are new believers, right? Baby Christians. They're going, what? Huh? What? We need to do what? So then verse 25, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord. So they agreed on this to Choose men and send them to you with our beloved Paul, Barnabas and Paul. You know what I like about that is they say, our beloved. You know, we love these guys. They're validating their ministry. They're validating who they are as leaders, men of God there, and especially Paul the Apostle. Verse 26, men who have risked their lives are the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So they're kind of also putting out there that these guys, they're not about themselves. Remember in our studies in Second Peter, we saw in chapter 2 especially that these false teachers were all about themselves. They were trying to put out this doctrine, gain followers, and it was all about getting more power, money, you know, a better lifestyle for themselves. Well, here, this letter saying, hey, these guys are the real deal. Yeah, they risked their lives for Jesus. It, they're, they're, it's not about them. It's about God in what they're about. So then verse 27, it says, We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. So these are our guys now. We're sending with them our, our, our leadership to testify, validate from their own mouth. You'll see their face and you'll hear their voice testifying on what, what, what happened at this meeting. And then it says here, verse 28, For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well, well, farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch. Having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. All right, we went over these issues last time. James, in his decision, you remember that was the heading in our outline, went over each of these things that are in this letter. But real quickly, I just want to review for you. So, so in this declaration, right, uh, James, or the, this church, this official letter, gives three practical things for the Gentiles. But, but, but first of all, he says here in verse 28, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit. That means this is from the Lord. The Holy Spirit had given us to 
lay on you no greater burden. You know what he's saying? He's saying no need circumcision. That's what he's saying. You don't need to be burdened with something else. It's not about works. Basically, in, in that, uh, those words, it's saying, no, we're saved by grace through faith. It's what you were taught. It's what you were believed in. It's what Paul talked about. It's what Barnabas talked about. It's what you've been taught about how to be saved in Christ because he atoned for our sins. We don't have to do anything to atone for our own sins. So basically, just right there in that phrase, to lay on you no greater burden, is that no need circumcision. Uh, but we want to give you these requirements. Now, I remember last time I said, well, isn't this adding works to our faith? What's, what's going on here? Well, last time we covered this. If you missed it, you can listen to the podcast. But let me just give you this much, that it's actually not adding works. It's actually adding love, right? Remember these Jews, guys? They, they're struggling still with the old ways. They grew up in the Jewish ways. They were trained that way. They were raised that way. And it's hard to let that go. And so rather than demanding the Jews, you're crazy, let it go, don't do that. You know, like they, they, they were demanding, uh, James is basically saying, let's give them grace here. Let's help them out here. Let's love on them. And so remember, there's three practical things that Gentiles are not to do. And so these are these requirements on a spiritual level, stay pure, have nothing to do with idols. Don't eat meat from idols. Just have nothing to do with that. That'll help these guys kind of push through. Um, remember we talked about to Paul saying, well, you know, I can eat whatever. It doesn't, there's nothing in it. But for the Jews to not stumble them, not going to eat the meat, not going to have anything to do with idols. So on the spiritual level, uh, stay pure, stay away from idol stuff. And secondly, on a moral level, stay pure. Keep away from sexual immorality. I mean, I mean that's bad anyway, but here's something that's very important for you guys. Uh, the Jews always follow that, but hey, in this Gentile Roman society, it wasn't like that. So on a moral level, be pure in that way. And thirdly, on a personal level, right? Stay away from eating, eating or drinking blood. The Jews were against that. Leviticus 18, 16, 20. Life is in the blood, plus... And the blood is atonement. So it was precious. It was something precious. And so not to stumble them. Don't even get into that. So all in all, it's to show love to the Jews and give grace. To abstain from this was in the name of grace. I like something I came across. Um, Hebrews twelve fifteen, And this is the NLT. It says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. I really like that. We need to look out for each other. We need to not stumble each other. We need to be, give grace. Give grace so that we don't end up having a root of bitterness in us, poisoning us. We think, well, come, they need to do, you know, demanding things when we need to give grace. So here's what we see here. Both in salvation and actions of love, the return to Antioch was to bring the official message of grace. And it's, it, it just goes hand in hand with what we learned last time. It, it flows with all of that. That this message now they bring back, Paul, Barnabas, Judas, 
Silas, this letter, it's all this official message of grace. We're saved by grace, no need circumcision. And you know what? Give grace to these Jews who are still learning, still growing. Paul said, you remember I mentioned last time that in Romans that those who have to stick to certain things, they're, they're actually weak. They're actually immature. They actually need to grow a little more in that way. But isn't this message of grace, doesn't that mean that, you know, we are people who receive grace too, right? We are ones who, we're not perfect. We failed. We failed God. We, we end up maybe doing things or we act like toddlers, like I said the other day. But, you know, we need grace every day too. And so as we receive grace, we should give grace. But we see that's what it's about, right? Grace, grace, grace from God, giving grace. So the return to Antioch was to bring the official message of grace. Alexander White, who's a very well-known and respected Scottish uh, pastor uh, in the late 1800s. Well, one day he stood up in a pulpit in Edinburgh and he said this, I have discovered the most wicked man in Edinburgh. Then he paused while the whole congregation was just silent, eagerly wondering, who's that name? Well, that's when the preacher continued and said, his name? Alexander White. <laughs> I like that though, right? Because that's the message of grace. We, we all receive grace. We, we're, under, we're nobody, you know. We're nothing special. We're not above anybody. We're, we're, we're one sinner, you know, talking to another sinner. Sometimes we get worked up and forget that, that God has been gracious toward us. So, you know, let's change our attitude. And when we change our attitude like that, guarantees you'll change the lives around you. You'll change a person around you. All right, so these guys are back now doing ministry, the return to Antioch. Number two is the return to teaching. The return to teaching. They return to Antioch, this message of grace, and now the return to teaching. Here we're going to look at verses 32 through 35. 32 35. It says here, And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. All right, now, Judas and Silas, Silas they, they ended up staying on for some time. We don't know how long, but a period of time. They didn't just come for a little while. They ended up staying. Probably the church welcomed them in. And so they stayed, and we read here, they encouraged, verse 32, and strengthened the brothers with many words. So I'm sure they, they shared, you know, what, the, the, and concurred with Paul and Barnabas about this letter and what the meeting was about and what Peter said and, and what James said. And, and they also probably added to the whole truth and the doctrine of saved by grace through faith. 
And they, they, they encourage the body. This is what it's about. You know, salvation is this, and Christ died on the cross, and rose again from the dead, and all the truths of the gospel, and all the truths of God, they encourage the body, and they strengthen them. And I, I think strengthen is important that as they learn more about the truth of salvation, that it strengthened the walk of the Gentiles, right? That that Because if you don't know the truth about what Christ did, if you don't fully receive that, that it's easy to walk under condemnation. It's easy to, to think, well, or, or maybe I sinned too much. If, if you didn't, haven't learned that Christ died for all your sins, it doesn't make excuse to sin, but that Christ's blood covers all your sins. And like it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I'm sure they're teaching those truths too. With many words, strengthening the walks of these believers, encouraging them in the Lord, probably talking about grace and love and all of that. Interesting here in verse 32, it says, who were themselves prophets so judas and silas they were considered prophets now prophets back then they weren't the apostles but they were also men men of god that uh, god used to speak through now we're going to see and in the book of acts that there was a prophet that god gave him a prophecy about the future but they were also guys who spoke and gave message uh, from god so so people listen they knew these were, were, were spokespersons for the Lord, that, that they were servants of God, that God spoke through them. So they stayed and ministered for a while. And, and then notice something, though. Um, after they spent some time, verse 33, then they're sent off in peace. Peace meaning, I, I, I believe it's saying, you know what? They were satisfied in the sense that they have fulfilled everything God wanted them to do, right? I mean, I feel good when, when I check off my to-do list and I'm at peace. Yeah, <laughs> but I think they're at peace that they fulfill God's plan, God's will. And, and, um, and the church felt the same and they sent them back to Jerusalem. Now, before we go on to verse 35, notice something here in the ESV, which I teach out of. If you're looking at the ESV, uh, something happened. Is this a typo? It goes from verse 33 and then goes to verse 35. What happened to verse 34? Is this a typo? Is, 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 is there something wrong with my Bible? Did the publisher mess something up here? No, it, it's, it's not messed up here. It, it, it intentionally does not have verse 34. Well, why is that? Well, some people say, look, the ESV, these guys, they take out, Scripture, well, that's not what happened here. Now, the ESV is based on older manuscripts. If you have a King James or a New King James, it's based on a certain manuscript that they had at the time of translating the Bible back in the 1600s. So that's what they had. Now, through the years, they, they, they updated a little bit in that. But in recent years, some older manuscripts than the ones that were used when they translated a King James version was discovered. And the older manuscripts don't have verse 34.
four. The new, newer ones, or later ones, I should say, do, which the King James, uh, I know it's confusion, but the older translation, King James, is based on a more uh, later manuscript, whereas after you know, all these years, the discovery of older manuscripts uh, have influenced translations like NLT, ESV, that have been recently translated. Verse 34 actually basically says that Silas stayed there in Antioch. And we're going to see in a moment that Paul and Silas actually go off on a, the second missionary journey. So it's believed that probably the copyists thought it would be good to add that to make the, the, the passage flow a little better in understanding. So that they probably put that in there. So that's why the ESV does not have a verse 34, whereas maybe your King James Version has the verse 34 in there. Doesn't change doctrine. Um, I, I, that's why I'm teaching out the ESV. I, I like how it's going toward uh, using the older manuscripts, and a lot of the wording is, is a lot better translated than the New King James. I, I mean, my first five, I grew up on King James. So don't, don't if, you know, some King James people say, no, only King James, but I, I grew up on that. My, most of the, my memory verses are still in old King James. And then when Pastor Chuck changed the New King James, I changed the New King James. And then I taught the, through the whole Bible, right? 16 years, you guys were with us, New King James. Well, at that point, I thought, you know what, let's, Let's go to some of these more modern translations. And, and I prayed through it, and I was reading in my devotions anyway, so I thought, hey, let's do ESV. So anyway, that explains why there's 33, no 34, but verse 35 here. Now, then in verse 35, we read that Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch. So they were there for some time. They stayed there uh, uh, it, it, Judas and Silas went to Jerusalem. It could be very well Silas came back. We'll see that in a moment. Uh, but here, they, they, Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, the church in Antioch, and they were what? Teaching and preaching the word of God with many others also. Some, uh -oh, some other ones were um, preaching and teaching too. So um, we see that Paul and Barnabas are teaching the word. Preaching usually goes with proclaiming the gospel. Uh, that's usually how it's termed. So it, it is the teaching and preaching in that way, the word of the Lord. And other people were teaching and preaching. So here's what I want you to see. The Antioch church was back doing ministry again. They were back doing ministry, the teaching, the preaching. There was, we read earlier, there's joy, right? They, they rejoiced when they got the letter because all of this stuff was dark stuff. No, you got to be circumcised. No, and there was this division, dissension going. But once that was cleared up, whole joy came back in. And once that was cleared up, they're back doing ministry again, back doing what God called them to do, back fully doing what God planted that church to do. You know, the early church had faced and survived 
the greatest challenge it had ever faced so far in this incident. I mean, we know in Acts 3, there's a lot of things that came up. Acts 3, remember the religious leaders? They came after apostles, put Peter, John, and Jail, all that. that. That one only saw. In Acts 5, Ananias, Sapphira, when they lied and secretly held back, you know, the offering after sell, selling the land, they, they ended up uh, shortchanging the church. So, you know, it's like the enemy trying to get in even that way. Acts 6, remember the Hellenist Jews were complaining, hey, we're, not, we're, we're being neglected, right? Uh, um, you know, the widows, orphans, all that. And, and then, but that was when the apostles raised up, right, the other leadership under them to help distribute that and run the church so they could focus on what? Studying the Word of God and prayer and teaching the Word. In Acts 8, we know Saul, or Paul, before he's converted, was fiercely going after Christians, possibly even killing them, grabbing them, dragging them back to Jerusalem to face the Sanhedrin, to be uh, uh, thrown in jail. And with Stephen's death, right, persecution just erupted. And people were fleeing Jerusalem because intense persecution was going on in Jerusalem, but that actually spread the gospel. That was when Philip went to Samaria and all these things happened. But when Satan couldn't stop the church from attacking from the inside, you know what he did? He slithered into the church with false doctrine. He slithered in to divide the church, to bring dissension over this issue. He came in within. He couldn't come from the outside, so went on the inside. Yeah, brought people inside. Seemingly believers saying, no, it's like this. It should be like this. And here... The worst thing is they're attacking the core of the doctrine of salvation. And that was splitting the church. Along with, think about this, racial and cultural lines, right? The Jews were just locked into, no, the Jewish way. But the Gentiles, oh, they're the outsiders. They're coming in. So that, that was drawing lines there too. But praise God, he's greater than Satan and his schemes. And in the end, God won. In the end, God won. Uh, Fred D. Jarvis said this, the unfinished task which lies before us is no greater than the unlimited power of God behind us. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? No matter what comes before you, no matter what challenges, no matter what, what, what may be like, I don't know, sometimes unfinished tax, tasks stress me out. <laughs> like either I got to get it done or how do I do it, you know, kind of thing. But no matter what that is, we have that unlimited power, the power of God behind us. So after this huge trial for this church, after it came, well, now... The return to teaching came. The return to teaching was a church getting back to God's word. Getting back to God's word. That's what I want you to see here. I mean, think about this, this distraction here, right? Satan comes inside, bringing doubt to God's word, the truth of salvation. Bringing in something else, trying to corrupt it. I mean, this is what Satan does. Satan knows that the pure truth of the word, what? 
sets us free, right? John 8, 32. That pure truth is our deliverance. That's our salvation. That, that's who we are. That's who, who we can come to know who God is. That's the power of the word of God. That's why it's so important that we learn the word, that we study the word, that, that we go through it and really get deep into it to, to understand doctrine and theology. And you might think, oh, I don't know, that's for pastors and, and professors. But you're learning it. You've been learning it. Our past studies, right? How are we saved? By grace through faith. Jesus Christ our alone. Uh, alone. By his blood. That, that's sotia, soteriology. The doctrine of salvation. The theology of salvation. We're learning that right now. It's not through any works we can do. It's not through uh, uh, doing Jewish things. And Jewish rituals. We're learning that now. This is the doctrine. This is what we learn. But you understand how the enemy wants to make his way in there. To change the truth. To corrupt it. To take away that power in your life. And for what was happening here, it was to bring under bondage the Gentiles in the rich Jewish ritual. Where Christ has set them free, where the truth of the gospel has set them free, Satan wanted to bring them back into this legalistic bondage and make enslave them again. That's so wrong. So that's Satan trying to attack the word of God. Think about the parable of the sower, right? When it fell on the hard, hard ground and the birds came. Yeah, that, That's Satan. That was that picture of Satan grabbing the word of God before it took any root. So the enemy wants to keep you from the word. The enemy wants to corrupt your interpretation of the word. So to make the word of God powerless. So be careful, you guys. Learn the word. Be, be smart about that. Be on watch. But the church here, God was there. The church church kept going in the word. And even more so, what maybe Satan wanted to divide, I think they're even more united than ever before. After this, they came back all united behind the word of God and, and with Paul and Barnabas. Yeah, this is the truth. That's what God does. He'll take Satan's plans and upend it, and he'll make things better. The famous writer, atheist, uh, Voltaire, you know what? He proclaimed that in 25 years, the Bible would be forgotten and Christianity would be a thing of the past. It would just fade away. Well, 40 years after his death in in 1778, the Bible and other Christian literature were being printed in what was once Voltaire's very own home. God's greater. You know, doing ministry, you guys, has always been challenging. People get angry. I've been through things like that uh, over and over. Uh, Splits in the church, dissension, division. COVID was very difficult. But there's one thing that I, I know, and I've watched Pastor Chuck do, I know it's important to never stop doing this. That's teaching the Word. It's teaching the Word of God. And so we're, we're going to keep going. And we're going to come back and do the best we can back 
doing ministry. All right, so number one, the return to Antioch, the return to teaching, and lastly, number three, we have the return to missions, the return to missions. Here we're going to look at verse 36 through 41. Verse 36, first of all, it says, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Okay, so after some time, they've been teaching, they've been preaching and all of this. Paul says, Hey, Barnabas, let's go back. Remember on their first missionary journey, they went all into Galatia and Pamphylia and all, all that whole area there, right? Asia Minor, all around there. And, 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 and they stopped in those cities. We study all that. So Paul's like, let's go back. Let's do a second missionary journey. We studied the first one. Now let's do a second one. Let's go back to every city we went to on this first mission. You know what's great about that is Paul's not just concerned with evangelism, right? He's not just some evangelistic preacher, hits a town, then leaves, hits another town, leaves, and all that. No, he actually still cares for the people. He wants to go back, see how they're doing. He wants to disciple also. He wants to, to, to plant these churches, and then he wants to make sure that they're going to flourish and that the believers are going to grow. And I like that heart of Paul, which is actually what Jesus said. Jesus said, go and make disciples, right? Go out into the world and make disciples, Matthew 28, 19. And I think that's the full calling of a minister, the full calling of a church. Yeah, you have guys gifted evangelism and they come into town and other churches will do the discipleship. I mean, that, that's fine. But Paul... He has this full heart. He cares not just that they came to Christ, but now that they would grow in Christ also. So I want you to see, first of all, the return to missions was motivated by Paul's passion and compassion. He really cared about these individuals. I mean, I don't know about you, and I'm, I usually read through the Bible, the whole Bible, every year, and... and um, if you read his letters, right, his epistles, you know, in the New Testament, how many times at the beginning he's saying, oh, I've been thinking about you all the time in my prayers. Oh, I long to see you, right? You see his heart just for these people, for those he ministered to, those he taught. He, it just leaks out. What, what a great example he is. In Colossians 1.28, it says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And I, I, I give that to you because that was his goal. He, that's his discipleship goal, that he would raise and train people up to be mature in Christ, that he, that he would present the bride of Christ without spot, without blemish. That's his heart, and that's inspiring to me. I mean, uh, that's what we find in him. So the return to missions, here's Paul like, hey, Barnabas, let's return. Let's go. Let's see how they're doing. Let's make sure that they're okay. Let's go disciple them. All right, verse 37 now. It says, now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had gone with them to the work. 
uh, and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, verse 39, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas, there he is, and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So here uh, we see that Paul says, let's go, Barnabas. So Barnabas says, okay, you know what? I want to take John Mark. I want to take Mark. But Paul's like, mm, no, I don't think that will be the best thing to take, take, take him. Well, why is that? Well, if you remember back in Acts uh, 13, verse 3, that when they got to Pamphylia, which is the area, when they got to this certain city, Perga, which Paul and Barnabas didn't do any ministry. If you remember, we studied that. And many commentators thought that Paul got sick before they traveled north up to this higher elevation city. And uh, it, it's, it's not an easy traveling route to go up to. Well, Mark jumped ship. Mark said, forget it. And he went back to Antioch. So Barnabas is saying, hey, come on, let's, let's take John Mark. Let's take Mark. And Paul's like, mm, no, because he, he, he's the one that didn't stay with us. He jumped ship. He, it was like one little thing or one thing happened, maybe because oh, he didn't like the sickness, maybe he didn't like the traveling, maybe it was inconvenient. We don't know, but he left them high and dry. So Paul's saying no. Barnabas saying, let's take him. Well, with that, verse 39, there arose a sharp disagreement. Agreement. You know, in the original language, it means it was not too friendly. <laughs> it, it really, the root word is they, they got into it. it. They were it wasn't a happy conversation there. They disagreed. Really disagreed. So I remember reading things or hearing people say, Oh, they, they agreed to disagree. No, it wasn't like that. It was it was it was a big disagreement here. And that's what the Greek word gives us. So Barnabas, with that, separated from Paul. Barnabas said, nope, I'm still taking Mark. So he took Mark and sailed away to Cyprus. If you remember when we were studying that, uh, Antioch, well, this way, on a map, I'm doing this backwards. Antioch would be here, Israel's down here, and, and Cyprus, the island's here, so they went straight this way. Well, Paul chose Silas, so Silas must have come back. And Paul and Silas, they become this missionary team. And that's what we're going to be reading about more. Uh, and and they, they took off and they went through Syria and Cilicia. So they went up. So it looked like that Barnabas and Mark were, were going to Cyprus, taking the route that Paul and Barnabas and Mark took originally. Went to Cyprus and then they went up this way to Pamphylia or Perga. And then they, they went up to all these other cities. Well, uh, Paul and Silas went up this way. So, so they're kind of coming around this way. Uh, we know that Cyprus is actually where Barnabas is from, if you remember that. And so uh, it's like, well, he ended up going maybe to home and maybe doing some stuff at home. Well, what's going on here? Let me tell you this. Commentators are split on who's right, who's wrong. And what's going on here? Me, 
I'll give you what I, and you can study this on your own, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you what I think, okay? But you, you be a good Brian, right? Acts 17, 11, make sure, you know, search the scriptures. I lean toward with Paul. I lean with Paul that he was more right in this. I understand Barnabas, though. I, I understand, and I'll, and I'll explain that. Um, uh, but I, I'm really leaning toward Paul in this. Now, to understand maybe Barnabas, and here's the first thing I want to give you. Barnabas, remember, he's an encourager. So put that in your minds, first of all. Barnabas is an encourager. Remember, do you know what his real name is? Trivia question, Bible trivia, what's his real name? Joseph. Joseph. Acts 5.36. That was his real name. Barnabas is actually his nickname, which means encouragement, right? Encourager. Right? Way when he was back in Acts 5, when he was introduced, they're like, oh yeah, this is Joseph, but everyone calls him Barnabas because he's such an encouraging guy. And we saw him, right? In Acts 9, 27, when, when Paul went to Jerusalem after he got saved, but all the apostles are like, no, we're not. You know, this is a trick. Paul's like, I want to see you guys. I want to meet you guys. I want to share. No, there's no way. I'm not going to, we're not going to meet him. Barnabas took Paul and went to the apostles. So he's that real, let's get together, encourager kind of guy, you know, that kind of person. So Barnabas is this encourager. So I think Barney, Barnabas Barney, if you want to call him, he's probably like telling Paul, look, look, Paul, and probably in their discussion, look, Paul, I know Mark failed this. I know he jumped ship. I know that, that it must have been bad reasons because Paul didn't want him. I know that, but come on, let's give him another chance. Right? Mr. Encourager, come on, we, you know, it's all right. Come on, let's give him a chance. Besides that, uh, let me add this. In Colossians 4.10, it tells us that John Mark is actually Barney's cousin. So they're family. So, so of course, right? I mean, that's okay. I understand that. We, we, we put our neck out for our family. Yeah, we, we love our family, guys. And so, yeah, okay, yeah. So I could see Barnabas is the encourager. So he's like, come on, let's give him another chance. Let's, let's take him with us. Paul, on the other hand, he's the go-getter guy. That's what I call him. Paul is a go-getter. So number two is Paul's a go-getter. Number one, Barnabas is the encourager, but Paul is the go-getter. He's the guy who says in Philippians 3, press on. Don't look back press on, right? He's the guy who told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, so fight the good fight, right? I mean, he was a Pharisee. Now he's saved. He, he's like, he's probably like type A, you know, personality. Okay, we're saved, we're going to do it, we're going to do it, we're gonna, right? Um, he's the one in 2 Timothy 4, he said, you know, I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. So Paul's like, look, I don't think he's ready. I don't, think, I don't think he's going to make it. I don't think he's mature enough to even make it now. And, 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 and I, I, I think it's too soon. I think that's what Paul was saying. He's, he's not ready here. Uh, and, you know, for me, I understand because things are going to get rough. In the next chapter, Paul and Silas end up in jail, right? They're beaten, right? And that's going to be a great story because they're just worshiping the Lord, earthquake, cons, door, right? 
And, and Paul knows what was the last trip, right? They were persecuted. They were chased out of town. He was stoned, right? I think Paul sees something in Mark at this moment like, you know what, the same thing's going to happen. I don't, I don't think this is right. I don't think so. So I understand what Paul is saying. And let me add this to, to this too, why I lean toward Paul. Paul's the apostle here. Yeah, he should have that final say. Also, we read here, look at verse 40. Paul and Silas, they departed, having been what? Commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. They were commended by the church. They were sent out by the church. We don't read anything with Barnabas, Mark, about this. So I, I feel like that this, this, was, this was what um, the church wanted. Paul, and, and really after this, we don't really read anything about Paul, uh, Barnabas and Mark. We, we're, we're just following Paul here too. And again, I think Paul must have seen something in Mark at this point. Like, nah, he's not ready. Because later, later in 2 Timothy 4.11, you know what he writes? He says, you know what, go get Mark because he's very useful to me in the ministry. Mark had grown, and Paul's, Paul can see that now. So that's why I lean toward Paul. But you can study it on your own. Yeah. If you feel Barnabas, okay. If you have other feelings, that's, that's fine. That's how I feel. It's a hard passage, but that, those are the reasons why I, I'm leaning toward Paul. But you can see the difference, though, in their personalities, right, and how they... They do ministry, maybe different philosophies of ministry in that. But let me give you one more thing. One more thing here. Even in this, God still worked sovereignly through this difference. God still works sovereignly, right? All things work together for good. No matter what happens, God sovereignly can use even something like this for his purposes. Barnabas went the same route, as I mentioned, to Cyprus first. Paul went the other way. And when he went up, he ended up in Derby and Lystra. Um, um, we're going to see that in the next chapter. And there in Lystra, you know who he ran into? Timothy, which became his protege, which became his disciple, which joined the team with Paul and Silas. I think that was God's plan to bring Timothy into this mix. And he becomes a huge person, uh, eventually pastor of the Ephesus church. And, you know, we we read uh, the letters to Timothy. Timothy became a key member of the team. And also going that way, we're going to see God gave him a vision of the Macedonian man, you know, and to go into these other areas. You don't hear anything that much about Barnabas and Mark, but still, think about it this way too. God had now two missionary teams, or there was one, now there's two. That's God's sovereign plan. John MacArthur said this, yet another of Satan's attempts to hinder the spread of the gospel backfired. Now there were two missionary teams where before there had been one, their impact had doubled. I like that. I like that. So I could see Satan trying to get in here. Yeah. But you know what? 
in God's sovereign plan. God is greater than Satan. And God can take what Satan tries to do and flip it around for his good and his glory. Amen to that? So we need not fear. Yeah? We need to just trust God even in these situations where Satan's trying to destroy and divide. I see Barnabas kind of this way. You know, he's saying this. You know what? Paul, let's bring Mark so he can grow stronger in the work. You know, he'll gain experience. That'll toughen him up. But Paul's like, nope, can't bring Mark until he grows stronger for the work. So Barnabas is like, no, he can do, let's do it in the work. But Paul's like, no, he needs to grow first for the work. So you can see that, that difference. I was thinking about that. I know uh, a friend who tends to be like Barnabas, like um, putting kids into doing worship in this little group. And they're, they're not even saved. They're there. And they're, they're like playing and everything and hoping that that will help them, you know, come to the Lord. But me, I have a different philosophy on that. I go, oh, I don't say anything about it. But, but it made me think about, you know, the different uh, approaches in that way. So anyway, no matter how you feel about this, here's the second thing and here's our final point. The return to missions was sovereignly launched by the Lord. Either way, God launched it. Either way, if Satan tried to divide these guys, now there's two and God launched it. You know, God is in it either way. You know, I was thinking about that, how the Lord has been sovereignly helping our church even too. It was nice last year, a year ago actually, Chris and I were asked to go to Okinawa, uh, speak at um, uh, uh, do ministry there, speak in church and share and everything. And, 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 and that was the first time since COVID, yeah? And we hadn't been there for years and we, we were going almost every other year or so and uh, before that. But it was nice. It was nice to get back, you know, in, in doing that. You know, and I have to tell you that this Cakey Day Camp we recently did at the Hyatt um, in the middle of October, it was, it was a blessing that God opened the door. Just how it came together, it, it was the Lord and the people and, and everything. Just, just not that it wasn't hard work, but God just, just clicked it all together. And how smooth it went, and, and the impact on the children there, and and to to hear that that um, I, uh, one of the group leaders saying, yeah, every child I talked to said they prayed to receive Christ. You know, just to see that that kind of impact, um, I I'll tell you, it, it it's just great to see how God sovereignly opened those doors, and all the relief stuff we've been doing. God just been doing amazing things. Um, I have to tell you when. When I got, I, I called, talked to the representative at the Hyatt, just proposing this idea. And then a few days later, when I got the call back, and afterwards, I actually cried. I actually had tears because it was kind of emotional to me to, I mean, to do this outreach, outreach for the kids. After all we've been through, it, it, it just was very touching, you know. And so that's why I kind of approaching this passage in this way of how they're back teaching, they're back from Antioch, you know, they're, they're fighting what Satan tries to do, and they return to missions. And I, I feel like, yeah, we're, we're getting back to, you know, what we 
need to do and what we've been called to do. After the battle, after whatever Satan may be trying to do to you to stop you, I think the most important thing is to get up. Yeah. To get up. Keep going. And to return to what God has called you to do. And with that passion and compassion and with the pure obedience to the Lord and surrendering your life and being submitted to His will, we just go. We just go. I know me personally, I, I fight all kinds of emotions and my own insecurities and, and, and oppression too. I mean, just straight on demonic oppression too. But sometimes it's just being willing to obey God in His will, you know. But I, I want to do that. And after the battle and whatever Satan does, will you get up? Will you return to what God called you to do? That's important. I'll close with this. In the jungles of South Mexico by Guatemala, a witch doctor named Domingo was saved. He turned from his own life, embraced the new life in Jesus, and as he walked with the Lord and grew, he, he got a burden for his old witch doctor friends. So, you know, he went to the village there. And at first, his old friends were like, oh, happy to see him and everything. But then he started to share his testimony about being saved in Jesus, and they got all hostile and threatened them. And long story short, um, he, he started to walk away because they're getting a little crazy. But then he felt like, no, I got to tell him. He turned around to tell him, and someone with a machete came after him, uh, tried to slice something in this pack he had, and, but ended up catching his fingers and sliced off three of his fingers. Well, he escaped. He went to the missionary's house place, and as the missionary nursed his fingers, she asked him what happened. He shared. He told her, and then he stopped and paused for a moment. He broke the silence and said this, Those poor men, God's message just didn't grab their hearts. I'll go back and tell them again. I love that. What a heart. Loving them like God loves them. And not just loving them, but willing to sacrifice to go back so even his, uh, oh, this, these attackers could be saved. But then I think about, why not? Isn't that what Jesus did for us? I think as we get more intimate with Christ, the more like that we become. I think the closer we get to Christ and connect with him, the more we become like him. And so, for me, reading this passage, finishing this chapter, and kind of getting deep into all this, it motivates me, and I hope it motivates you, to get back to doing ministry. Let's pray. Lord God, it is our heart to serve you, Lord. As Christians, Lord, as believers, God, it's natural. I mean, when we first become a Christian, we're so excited uh, we're, we're excited to live life for you, to, to seek you, to, 
to get close to you, come church, to worship, pray. And then, God, you start putting in our heart that we want to serve you, that we want to be used by you to further your kingdom and bring Jesus to everyone we know. And God, some of us have lost that. Maybe you're sitting here, or maybe you're online, and you're hearing what is being said through the word tonight. It's time to get back to doing ministry. It's time to get close to Jesus. It's time to turn from the world and, and turn from your habits and sin. Or, and even just sometimes there's those weights like Hebrews 13 talks about or 12 talks about that we need to lay aside those weights. They're not bad things. They're not necessarily sins, but they are holding you back from doing what Jesus is calling you to do. And God, I pray, Lord, for every one of us, Lord, because we have our moments and we have our things. But as we live in these times, God, we want to be all out. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that as we close in worship, that we would give our hearts to you and get back to doing ministry, get back to doing what we're called to, get back to to living for you and not ourselves, to surrender ourselves to you, our heart, our mind, our soul, to, to totally submit to what your will is and not demand our own. So here we are, God. Help us tonight to be and become all that you want us to be. Thank you, Jesus. And I know, Lord, that it's only your love calling us, Lord, in that way. It's only because you want to be intimate with us. You want to use us in greater ways so we can experience you and give you glory and find you in all of these things. So, Lord God, I pray that you move upon us now. I pray for your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.